You're listening to In The Loop with Oxwash, a podcast where we talk to industry experts about the latest sustainability developments that you need to know about. Hi, everybody. Thank you so much for joining me on the next episode of In The Loop with Oxwash. I'm super excited today because I have a very special guest that I have wanted to talk to for a very long time. We have with us today Connor, who is the founder of Allotme. Hello, Connor. Hi, Carl. How's it going? Very well, thank you. Very excited to have you here today. Connor is the founder of a platform designed to connect those who want to rent out their gardens or spaces outside with those looking to find a nearby plot to start their own vegetable plot or garden. Absolutely phenomenal. Connor, please tell us about your background and how this started. It's awesome. Yeah, no worries. I don't know. I mean, my background is essentially summed up uh, in architecture. Um, you know, I worked for about um, five years in London before I started Lot Me. I studied in Belfast, Glasgow, worked in New York for a year in between. Um, and really, that was that was my background was urban design and, and architecture, which I think doesn't in certain ways set up uh, very well for entrepreneurship because it's, it's essentially problem solving on a day to day basis, um, which is great. And I suppose the idea for a lot me came essentially like many young people who are living in, in London or the big cities, living in apartments without um, a garden or a balcony. So um, that was me a few years ago. And I remember coming across uh, allotments in my area, but just having no idea how to get involved. I remember, um, you know, having to go through Facebook groups to find a contact detail to then eventually meet somebody on site. And then, of course, you realize that the, you know, the waiting list was completely full. There was not even a, a way to join it. Um, so I started thinking about how, you know, how many other people were in the same sort of situation or would have liked to be involved, but just had no idea how to, to get access to it. I mean, if you go on the kind of council websites for traditional allotments, it's really just a, a map uh, pin with no contact details. They really don't want you to get any further information. Um, and I remember at the time seeing a, a TED talk for this uh, this Instagram account, which then turned into an app, which was for taking photos of trash in America. And, um, you know, they, they basically would, you know, people would take picturesque uh, photos of some litter on the ground and they would post it with a location and a time. And they then turned that information to be able to map out where the trash was coming from, from various outlets and restaurants to be able to then turn around to those restaurants. There was one chicken shop, which had loads of ketchup packets. And they were able to show them the data and go look at all these photos of your ketchup packets all over these streets. So that they, they were able to change the way that they give out ketchup in the shop to not have packets anymore. So I thought it was a really interesting way to kind of log data um, for the better and and to really kind of you know corral people in, in a positive way so i thought why are these waiting lists being closed off you know why do they not want to know where the demand is so that's where kind of a lot of me started in its most basic form uh and then of course you realize you know even if you have a really good account of where all the data is to go back to the you know to local government and, and say here you know can we create more spaces there just aren't any and, and the spaces have declined by 65 percent you know since their peak uh, you know, kind of post Second World War. So so that's when it really opened up to be, well, this kind of Airbnb for gardens, as it's often described, uh, which is just, you know, what what spaces at all in the in and around the cities are there to be turned into vegetable plots? 
Got it. Chris, so, I mean, honestly, this is a problem that we experienced as a, a team, actually, an organisation at Oxwash. When last autumn we were looking for an allotment for our team, um, it was back when kind of the allotment craze went a little bit, and we'll probably talk about it, mad with COVID, people wanting to get out of their homes and, mm. you know, actually get get some green fingers. And we couldn't find an allotment in Oxford. Honestly, we are on probably still eight or ten different waiting lists for right. a, an allotment for the team, you know, for us to collectively grow things. And I went on the Allot Me app this morning and I couldn't find a pin in Oxford. So if there are any listeners today in Oxford or Cambridge or Battersea that have a plot that the Oxwash team could could uh, could squat on, could you please put it on the Allot Me app immediately? I'm sure there's so many listeners that would love to have some space in those cities but it's honestly a phenomenal idea and I think that kind of communal sharing elements really powerful but where, where do you think that the kind of rise in demand for allotment space has really come from in the last few years it's is it because of covid is it because people want to be more sustainable what do you think is the main driver yeah I think it's it's one of those things where if you if you look back through you know news cycles there will always be stories of demand being massively oversubscribed versus supply um, in allotments because they're, they're spaces that are always under attack from developers essentially uh, because it's you know it's it, the land is essentially very undervalued you know in terms of what people pay versus what the land is probably worth for for a developer on the site um, but I think more recently definitely COVID has played a part it's certainly accelerated. Uh, the way a lot of people feel, you know, in and around cities, you know, uh, it's it's one in eight people don't have a garden in the, across the UK. When you go to London, only one in five people, uh, sorry, that rises to one in five people don't have a garden. And then if you look at every new housing development that's being built, um, the average space that's allocated per household is five square meters. And that's a balcony, you know, more often than not. Um, so I think you know, COVID certainly accelerated that because people were confined to their homes and therefore the realization of wanting that outdoor space became so much more clear to them. Um, and then also just just the realization of how, you know, having access to green space can can be a big, uh, can make a big impact on your mental health, you know, having that kind of safe mm-hmm. haven. That, that's where a lot of the stories were coming out around lockdown to say, you know, my, my, uh, my allotment was a godsend. And, you know, people read that and think, God, I want that too. So it's, it's, it's sort of, there's a, there's a couple of things. And then I think, you know, there's there's so much rise in demand for, especially in younger generations, for ethical, sustainably sourced food and, you know, sustainable and ethical um, movements or activities or, or more wholesome activities like yoga and, and meditation and things like that. And you realize that you can, can combine both that sort of sustainable side and the mental health side into one activity. It's a it's a real godsend. Yeah, honestly, I think personally, I can really resonate with that. I mean, as I mentioned, move, moving out of Oxford city centre into a village on the commuter line down to London, got a bit more space in the back garden. And it really is my personal haven from, you know, the hustle and bustle of running Oxwash and, you know, the day to day to go into the garden, even if it's for half an hour in the evening to water mm-hmm. the plants, to, you know, weed, to try and spray some you know, white wine vinegar on the aphids, whatever it is. For me, that's just that moment of, you know, kind of sacred downtime where the pace slows and you do get a bit of a breather. I mean, everyone has a different coping method for for stress and the pace of modern life. But I think that you probably hit a bit of a perfect storm when it comes to 
people working from home, sat behind computers for long hours of the day, very little human interaction other than through a Zoom call. I mean, yeah, unfortunately, okay. we're, we're, we're kind of facing that together right now. Um, and therefore, kind of interacting back with nature is probably quite a subliminal um, and very, very meaningful link. But I'd, I'd love to know, you know, kind of you personally, Chat, what's your, uh, what's your favorite thing to grow in the garden? Just one green thumb uh, wannabe to another expert. <laughs> Uh, so I think, I mean, uh, before we started recording, you mentioned spinach that you had growing before. That is one where I eat quite a lot of spinach, but I've always had such a trouble growing it. And this year, mm. for the first year, I got a really good crop of spinach. So I'm happy about that. But I've, I've, I've rinsed it already. It's, it's already been harvested. So I'm still <laughs> waiting for it to grow back. I'm going to re-sow some seeds, I think. Yeah. Um, that's one. There's, there's some little joys you get. Like I had a big, massive uh, golden courgette plant. Um, last year that I grew through through the sort of first lockdown and that oh, produced nice. the biggest courgette I've ever seen. And it, was, <laughs> it, was, it was great and I just had it by itself for lunch. It was so good. Um, I uh, so, I mean, tomatoes are this kind of staple as well that they're always, you know, pretty good for, for producing a good crop year after year. Um, and then things like salads and lettuce where you get kind of constant um, use out of them where you can just go out in the garden, snip them for lunch and, and get a salad going. Yeah, no, I mean, that sounds like absolute heaven to me. I think we probably yeah. need to get some more grow bags outside the Oxwash Lagoons for some some nibbles. But Absolutely. I guess that, that probably comes, brings me perfectly on to my next kind of point is that, you know, modern research is, has identified that in the UK, we throw away altogether too much food. You know, I think six, six and a half, seven million tonnes of food each year is thrown away. Um, we've got a stat that you know that's Wembley Stadium filled with food eight yeah. times over. Yeah, you know, it's crazy. If we stop throwing away unused food, it would have you know the same environmental impact as taking one fifth of all cars off the road. And I think you know the way that you're approaching this problem, the communal sharing of space to grow food, could be a potential solution to this. Do you think that that's the case? Yeah, I think I think so. It, it's really good to to always frame those kind of stats with things like you know it's it's like a fifth of the cars going off the road, um. Like the one that I was I always look to is is you know it's it's transporting for like growing your own food. In the first instance, you're cutting down the transport of food because over half the food in the UK is imported, um. And you know it's it's equivalent to about 19 million tons uh, of CO2. And similar to your stat, it's about that's like five and a half million cars worth. Uh, so Gee. it's it's pretty much about the same, you know, same amount of carbon sequester. But um, I think that more so as being a practical sense of just cutting the food waste, it's it's a, it's a change in the mentality of the person that's then growing the food because you start to analyze your your choices a little bit more, and you start to be a bit more considered about what you buy. And how you treat food, um, and I, I'm always kind of one for like looking at, um, you know, uh, sell by dates and things like that, and just thinking they're they're a load of rubbish because it's a fruit or a vegetable. It will tell you when it's no longer <laughs> no good to eat. Well you will said. smell it well or you will said. see it. You know. <laughs> um, so I think, yeah, I think it, it's definitely a, a good starting point, but I think more so, I'd really like to see a kind of that that it empowers a sort of change in, in perception of of where that food's come from you know you look at a pack of onions for example in, in tesco's or sainsbury's most of the time it'll come from a place like israel so it's traveling you know thousands of miles to get there and it's and then it's moving you know i think it's the average the average store-bought produce travels about 1500 miles before it gets to your your plate so um it's it's a it's a there's a real um, option to to make a big impact in personal kind of decisions in that 
And I think that will then have a knock-on effect to food waste, which is a massive, massive problem. But, the, you know, there's lots of great organizations that are focused more directly on that um, that path, like Olio and things like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I, I completely agree. I mean, w- one age-old question, which I, I'm constantly trying to figure out some work that I did previously with NASA was around this too, is what is the minimum amount of space that it takes for somebody to be self-sufficient, right? Because that is the most sustainable food that you can eat is the one that you grow in the back garden or nearby, Absolutely. walk to, pick it, and then eat it. Do you have any idea kind of in the UK, is it possible to be self-sustaining on an allotment? Do you know many people that are doing this? Oh, yeah, definitely. I mean, if you if you look at the average allotment size, there's sort of 10 poles, which is, um, I'm trying to think of the, the square meterage um, replication for that, but it's a good you know, 30 plus square meters of outdoor mm. space oftentimes. Uh, and it's, it's definitely enough. But the thing is that oftentimes the, you know, we can't get access to that, so, that sort of size of space. So what's the kind of balance, but you definitely do. You do hear plenty of stories of people with traditional allotment sites that are feeding their families and then they always have access. So I think it's about, it's about not just uh, growing, you know, monocrops or, or, or things like that in one space but it's about growing with the seasons to make sure that you are fed throughout the year so i definitely think there is scope to be completely sufficient from an allotment um yeah. but obviously you have you know it's a great question what is what is that kind of what's that inflection point of space where you can be as efficient as possible in the cities you know where you can't get access to to a straightforward allotment Got it. Well, maybe that's a challenge we can pick up together to see if we can get down to that. Yeah. No, I mean, it is a really, it's a, it's a really uh, important question, and it would be really great to, to to follow up on that. Yeah. Awesome. I mean, you 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 touch on a good point around kind of cities and the fact that you know a lot of people are super space constrained. But I guess one of the big trends that we've seen in the last couple of months, well, I mean, the last year and a half now, is lots of people leaving city centres and moving to the country in light of the pandemic. Um, do you think that those kind of metropolitan cities and that mass exodus such as central London is going to result in cities having more of a focus around green space to attract people back? You would like to think so, certainly. I think, I think you know, there are certain things that were already, you know, put in place um, for London, for example, to be a, a national park city a couple of years ago, it signed up to do that. And there's lots of organizations which are backing that and there's there's so many different grassroots organizations to try and tackle these kind of things but i think that probably what we're seeing at the minute in terms of that this kind of exodus of of cities that people are talking about is really the first order effects of covid and i think that where people are maybe a bit older in their life or a bit um more settled where they have the opportunity to do that they're going to do it and it will leave perhaps more space in the short term but I think the, the sort of second order effects of COVID will, will be much the same in that if you are if you're a young person, you will you will gravitate towards a city where the jobs are, where you're likely to, you know, find a partner or things like this. You know, I think that, that the, the cities will still be the hub of activity in, in the long term. But, you know, maybe that's another that's another knock on effect that that younger generations are much more inclined to to be supportive of whatever schemes are, are, are being, you know, um, pushed forward by local governments to try and improve the cities. I think it's a massive opportunity and, and you certainly saw lots of 
figures and statistics of, of how much the CO2 emissions had reduced during COVID with the lack of traffic and the lack of, of people moving around, which is really interesting to see and what can happen in such a short, a short period of time. So I really hope that we learn from those um, little lulls in, in, in energy consumption that we had. Um, and I hope there is a sort of capitalization of, of, of whatever space there, there is left over from any kind of exodus that's happened. But um, yeah, I think that the problem kind of remains in the long term that we will still move towards the cities. I mean, the big overarching stat is that by 2050, 70% of the, of the planet will be living in cities. In the UK, we're already past that. You know, three quarters of, of us in the UK already live in cities. So I think the, the longer term question remains mostly the same. Um, but yeah, it will be interesting to see. God, I mean, that's a really good perspective. I mean, the pandemic really has changed people's behaviour sometimes for the better sometimes the worse it's a bit of a bit of a reset i mean have you have you seen since the pandemic started that customers or members of your community on the app and on the platform their willingness to share their gardens has reduced in light of the the kind of threat of contracting the virus or have actually people been more happy to share to try and help their community uh, what, what kind of changes have you seen yeah, it's been interesting um, because in the first in the first instance, of course, a long a line in line with uh, you know all the traditional allotments, we saw a massive uptick in the waiting list in the first in the first instance, and then when we when we officially launched the um, the, the web app, uh, you know, a, a month ago or so, I was sort of very pleasantly surprised with the amount of people from the outset who were ready to put their space on. I think we're still just scratching the surface in terms of the the numbers and and the awareness we're getting with it. But um, strangely, it it hasn't seemed to have um, you know affected people's uh, willingness to to share a space with somebody. I think if anything, now people are ready for a bit more social interaction. Strangely, um, I mean, we initially we were looking at launching the whole thing, you know, in in the spring of last year. Uh, which of course was waylaid like, waylaid like many other things. Um, so during that period, it was really just building on, on the kind of waiting list, looking for the demand, and um, you know, seeing how we could get the platform ready for it for as soon as you know the main kind of lockdown ended. Um, so when we launched, yeah, it, it was very interesting to see that lots of people were willing, uh, and you see kind of quite a lot of community and camaraderie on the app where people are interacting, they're having viewings, and and really want. Um, to have a really great long-term relationship that's sort of where we differ with the the airbnb comparison is that you know their global supply um and global demand and where local supply local demand and for long-term relationships so people are really keen to kind of find that simpatico with somebody who's willing to you know change their garden into something that's you know completely different it's great to see yeah no that's really really humbling and super positive i think you know, it's, this conversation and doing a little bit of research around your platforms definitely made me rethink, you know, keeping in the four hedges of my garden and maybe opening it up to the, the village um, community. I think I'm definitely going to l- register ASAP for that. Um, but I, I mean, a lot of people don't have the luxury of having any space to, to, to share, which I mean, I've just encountered on your website. Um, you have an alternative, the GrowPod. Could you tell us and our listeners a little bit about that and what inspired you to bring that product to uh, the masses? It's awesome. Yeah, no worries. Um, well, I, I, as I mentioned, we were kind of looking at, at launching the uh, the main platform 
in the spring of last year and and when that um sort of got put to the back burner i was kind of looking for i was looking on the market um for essentially i was it was essentially looking for the grow pod for myself but couldn't find it um you know just a, a couple of years ago whenever i started on the journey i i set off to interview uh, much like yourself um the many of the kind of uh, innovators in the urban agriculture world so that would be like vertical farms um you know there's an indoor vertical farm below a tube station in in south london um there's there's guys that with have massive greenhouse you know farms in america all these kind of new close to the city close to the supply chain kind of types of um urban agriculture and you know the big um the big detractor from those sorts of innovative places is that they use a lot of electricity because they are, they're indoor, of course. So they're using LED lights. And although they are, you know, some of the most efficient lighting systems in the world, they're still a massive um, power drain. So I was sort of looking for a kind of, well, what's the household equivalent to that? And none of them that I could find were just using the natural method of the sunlight. You know, they all have a lamp to them and they're all sort of in the region of, of a hundred pound or more. And I thought, well, that's not really kind of a mass market product. And so I started to look at, well, can I build, you know, the, 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 the low tech version yourself, because, you know, essentially the grow pod is a, uh, it's a little container where you grow um, herbs and vegetables in water instead of soil. So it's called hydroponics. Um, and there's a few different branches of hydroponics where you can, mist the the roots instead of um just sieving let it letting them sit in the water which is called um uh, aeroponics and then you can also have a separate tank where fish are in a little um closed ecosystem where they're providing nutrients for the plants that's called aquaponics so um the simplest form is um hydroponics and that's what the grow pot is essentially but most of the the consumer products out there are with a light so i really wanted to look at what's the what's the most simplest thing you could do um, was able to to manufacture it in bamboo quite nicely um, and just just do a very simple method of germinating the plants leaving them in the sunlight and the results are were amazing some of the diy kind of versions which i made myself i was able to grow aubergines out of them massive tomato plants out of them and had really good hop, um you know crop harvest from them so then i started looking at you know how do i bring this to the mass market and and it was really a way to connect with the people who had joined up on our waiting list who clearly didn't have their own space um but wanted to grow so it's like well what's the kind of the gateway drug to to having your own <laughs> allotment space well it'd be growing indoors what's the easiest the most you know efficient way to do that it would be hydroponics which uses 90 percent less water than growing in soil um amazingly so it, it's uh yeah it's that little that little gateway drug to to getting growing your own Absolutely brilliant. I think we're probably going to uh, get a few for the Oxwash Lagoon teams around the country to see who can grow the biggest golden courgette. Why not? I mean, you've got to got to have a challenge, right? Absolutely. Yeah. Let me let me know. I'll I'll send you some photos of our uh, our efforts in the months ahead. I'm sure they'll be laughable, but you never know. Um, and speaking of the future, I guess the final question to come on to is, you know, what's next for a lot me, and where really do you want to be in five years' time? Yeah, it's a uh, it's one of those questions you either ask yourself all the time, or you just try and avoid. But um, because it's such a you know, I, I try and um, you know, there's so many day to day problems to solve, and and you know, obviously the the uh, the big problem with with a lot me is that we're trying to solve for the lack of space, and it's a it's a losing battle in terms of these demand versus supply. So 
where I'd really like uh, allot me to be in the next five years is is to be the go-to place for urban agriculture um, on the consumer side. You know, I mentioned a lot of um, urban farms and things like that, which are providing to supermarkets like Waitrose and Marks and Spencers. But in terms of being a, a mass, you know, market consumer place for anyone to go to and to either learn about how to grow your own or to try and find your own space or to start in a small way with the grow pod, you know, that's where I really want a lot of me to be um, and to kind of grow with the community of people that are already, you know, got that have already got involved. Um, and I, I think that the real the real selling point for me of the uh, of the platform is always the stories of the people that are using it. So that's that's kind of what I'd really like to grow on. Um, excuse the pun. And um, yeah, that, that's it. I, you know, I, I, we, we'd like to, we're seeing great um, support in and around the UK from the sort of media coverage that we had whenever we launched. Um, uh, but, you know, amazingly, we've seen people try and list space. I mean, they have listed spaces in Argentina, in America, in um, Germany, um, in Ireland, and we've had requests in Australia and stuff. So I think it's a, it's one of these kind of simple marketplace ideas that translates very well and I, I didn't you know because we're called allot me and uh, uh, you know allotment gardening is kind of a british um pastime so i didn't know how much it would translate but apparently it does so you know sky's the limit i suppose absolutely brilliant honestly i think for any of our listeners listening today absolutely shoot over to the allot me website register to get access to some honestly really cool spaces you know it's not just your typical allotment i was just browsing through before the recording and saw some absolutely incredible places that I'd equally as much like to do yoga in than do some weeding in, oh, yeah, absolutely. Um, which is super cool. And if, um, if anyone has any space they'd like to share, then I highly recommend that too. I certainly will be. And Connor, thank you so much for your time today. This has been absolutely fab. I um, yeah, did a, a PhD in a plant sciences department. So this has been a great opportunity for me to geek out a little bit on uh, agriculture. So I really, really appreciate your time today. Thank you for coming on. Yeah, likewise. Thanks for having me. Brilliant. Cheers, everybody. Till next time.